1: Hi, Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I am your
0: other host, Emily Abajan.
1: We, as a collective, know that we can't all be Beyonce. And in that same spirit, not every girl group that came after the Spice Girls can be Destiny's child. Which is where we will find ourselves today on this episode of Old Millennials. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the girl groups that... Hey, do you remember that group? Oh yeah, where'd they go? We know where they went. Specifically, Dream, aka Proto, Danity Kane, and Wild Orchard. No, nope. I did it again! <laughs> I told you, why did I even tell you that I've been getting them confused? And I'm looking at my notes where I have it properly spelled out. Wild Orchid, aka the origin story of Fergie Ferg. But before we talk about these non-Destiny's Child girl groups and non-Spice Girls levels of fame. What do you think about both or either of these groups? Like, I only know about Wild Orchard, Orchid, fuck, in relation to whenever Fergie would talk about, like, the beginning of her career. That was the only time. I've never listened to a single. I don't really know anything about them. I definitely really, really liked Dream. He Loves You Not was, like, huge at school dances. But upon a re-listen i was reminded that i was actually way more into the other single this is me even though some of the lyrics are not super amazing but i do recall dream just sort of like vanishing a little bit but i also had kind of aged out of their demo so it felt kind of like a natural parting but yeah fergie's band i was like what who? Yeah, and so I knew for a girl in high school that formed or joined like a girl group briefly, and they were inspired by their by Fergie's band. And I was like, I don't know that band that you're talking about, but sure, I I support you joining a girl group.
0: No, much like you, I actually really didn't know that many songs by them. Truly, the only reason I knew them was one, because of Fergie, but two, because of the show Great Pretenders, which was on Fox Family. They were the hosts of this short lived Limp Sync competition show. Oh, Um, what? Yes. So I knew who they were, but really strictly in that capacity. And I think they may have, you know, appeared on a soundtrack here and there, but really didn't know them, you know, during the one time where they really peaked, which wasn't that huge. Uh, I think I was a little too young or because they were a group for 13 years. So like, They, uh, honestly, I didn't know any of their music for the most part until doing this research. What about Dream? Dream, I knew much better. Dream, of course, was like, but we're around the same age, so like... You know, Dream was was big when we were in middle school, maybe early high school and had those two huge singles. Plus, if I recall correctly, I believe one of those got a remix, like a like a Diddy remix. Oh, yes. As well.
1: Oh, oh, don't worry. Oh good, good, <laughs> there, good, are good. <laughs> no, there are nothing short between like two to eight bullet points about the remix itself and Diddy's involvement in the remix. Though. Oh, perfect.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Yes. That's,
1: called, that's what we call a tease in the biz. <laughs>
0: So good, good. I'm happy to hear that because, yeah, Dream, certainly, I couldn't tell you much about them biographically, but I can certainly know Dream Songs versus Wild Orchid.
1: Yeah, and they also had kind of a mini resurgence and it kind of, I was reminded of it when I was doing research for this episode, but... It it was definitely one of those like blink and you'll miss it. They had sort of like threatened like a whole album kind of comeback deal back in 2016 when they were sort of like celebrating some milestone that He Loves You Not had reached. And, you know, I'll get into like the tour that they were that they went on in support of like kind of like this mini reunion that they were doing. But you might remember at least more recently uh, Melissa Schumann, who was a member in Dream. And I will talk about it a little bit at the end. But it is, you know, it's sad and it's dark and you can look up what happened between her and Nick Carter, but uh, you Ah. might be reminded of Dream because she was in the news uh, around, like, Me Too time, like, around 2018 or so. So that also could be why that her name and Dream sounds familiar. But they've been around. The 2016 stuff was really interesting. They did, like, all of the rounds. Like, they did all the nostalgia shit. So they, like, had a bunch of stuff on BuzzFeed, and then they hit Bustle and Refinery29, and they were all talking about... what it was like to be in the band in the beginning versus like now and what they want to do and where they want to go. But it seems like in some ways that I'm reading this book right now uh, called larger than life. It's mostly about boy bands, but I feel like a lot of the lot, a lot of the same lines of thinking can be applied to girl groups. And the rule is at least for boy bands. And I think it's true for girl groups is like, you have maybe a maximum five year shelf life. The only boy band that could defy that is, Backstreet Boys, but mostly everybody keeps like breaking up and reuniting because they can't hang on to a record deal. And it seems like Dream, unfortunately, is kind of like cursed with like you guys had like a good three, four years and then that the the wave crested and that was kind of like over. But back when Dream was just starting out and everything seemed very hopeful, what I actually think works the best about Dream, and you really see it in the He Loves You Not video, is that they seem like people your own age. They don't look like 23 year olds passing for like freshmen in high school.
0: Absolutely. And I, if I recall correctly, like their outfits were cute, but they weren't like, like you would see someone in your high school wearing that outfit versus like, you know, sometimes some of those groups, it was like, they were cool outfits, but like not something you would ever see anyone that age actually wear.
1: Right, and like clearly like designer, you know, some of their outfits you could definitely go buy it like a limited two or whatever. Yeah. They also seemed like they were real friends. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it was really easy to like project your dream onto them. If you were, you know, any sort of like a creative theater kid type, you would always just like imagine like, if I could do it my way. And so it's just sort of like you would see them be like, maybe it isn't that hard to do. I mean, it's incredibly hard to do, but I think because they were so genuine to their brand at the time that you really like, I think that's why they left such an impact, even though they kind of had like a short lived career. But initially, Dream was called First Warning, which is a terrible name. (laughs) But they were initially formed in October of 1998 when talent scout Judith Fontaine found four SoCal teens, Holly Blake Arnstein, Mosa Schumann, Ashley Poole and Alex Chester. We'll later get replaced, but we'll talk about her, to develop as a girl group. Ashley Poole got on board famously by dialing one 800 B A star while Melissa Schumann, do you remember that hotline? Like, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, my God, I have a flashback to yes. turning to the back of, like, a tiger beat. And it's like, yes. are you a star? Just like, uh, what was that, Barbazon modeling? They were oh, all in the same...
0: It was weird. Like I don't think you see those ads in teen magazines anymore. But I remember, no. like, very much in the '90s and early 2000s, it was almost like a personals ad section. But it was just like the the lower rent stuff. Like you could find ads for like websites that sold inflatable chairs and like yes. Barbizon, One oh eight hundred be a star. Like, and then I remember,
1: see- um, what was it? Like you could draw this, and it was like the outline of like a yes, duck or of a
0: duck. Yes, of course. Or that
1: turtle kid. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. In that section, Ashley Poole found this number called and ended up joining Dream. Melissa Schumann and Holly Arnstead auditioned at the suggestion of their vocal coaches. Fontaine then brought them to a producer named Kenny Burns, who molded their candy sweet sound under his 2620 music label, which sounds like 702 Entertainment, like just so like a (laughs) fakey sounding bullshit thing. But by January of 1999, they had a semi-informal meeting with Puff at the Beverly Hilton, as Ashley Poole recalls, quote, he was eating an omelet, as we were singing, which is very making the band sketch like Chappelle show oh, energy. Sure. Like if he for turned sure. around and like, no, walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm like, I-, I knew that the sketch was obviously rooted in some sort of reality. But like, I didn't know it was almost, you know, a, basically like a mirror. Image down to a T. Yeah. Like of yes. what
0: actually went down.
1: <laughs> and if you can believe it, the story only gets more P. Diddy ish. So um, he was really hard to read. Ashley goes on to say he was really hard to read. Couldn't tell if he liked us or didn't. Puff started joking about selling his napkin on eBay that if nothing else happened, we could make a little cash, something that he touched, which is kind of rude, but also oh like, hey, you guys are poor. Here's like fucking used napkins of Like, just- I mean,
0: did he clearly had in mind that if this group makes it big and they one day have like a biopic like this has to be played like put in a scene in this movie word for word what just happened i feel like you just nailed
1: his whole life
0: P. <laughs> loses
1: his life just in case they're gonna make a biopic about him he's like of yeah they have to put that in the movie they're gonna have to say based on true events because all this shit actually fucking happened <laughs> uh, yeah I love this man and I love his dedication to being absolutely off the charts. Okay. Ashley continues. <laughs> we keep taking all these asides. But Puff was straight business. He didn't care if our feelings were hurt. He said what needed to be said, and he would tell he would tell us to our face if we needed to lose weight. He would tell us whether or not we liked that song. He was very about the business with us. As kids, it's really hard to hear it, but as an adult, you kind of understand where he's coming from. So Dream became the first white artist to, say, to sign to bad boy baby. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh. Which, like, what a stat. Not to keep referring to Chappelle, but, like, you never want to be the first anything. It never ends well. Once they signed a bad boy, they dropped Fontaine, who promptly turned around and sued them. More on that in a second. The other change was that Alex Chester left the group. And although everyone else plays down why she left is, like, just for her to pursue, quote-unquote, other endeavors, which, like, 14-year-olds don't have those. No. Oh. One thing that I um, forgot to mention is that the reason why Dream was so approachable and they don't look like they're 23 year olds is because they were in 1998 when they formed this band originally, Holly was 13, Melissa was 14, Ashley was 13 and Alex was 13. But by the time that they were signing to Diddy, she was 14. But yes, 14 year olds don't have other endeavors.
0: Oh, my God. No.
1: And now a detour with Alex Chester's quotes from the blog Onstage blog. She was promoting some Broadway show called K-pop that she was starring in and possibly wrote. Anyway, here are some choice quotes. When I was in P. Diddy's dream, I worked 12 hours a day. I was forced to be on an extreme diet and exercise regimen. We ran six miles every day on top of dancing four to eight hours every day. Our producer pitted us against each other, created internal conflicts and tried to get us away from our parents. The girls in Dream started off as my besties, but we soon couldn't trust each other. Our producer played head games with us, 14-year-old girls, and it turned into he-said-she-said said complex. It turned into who was prettier, skinnier, singing more, dancing best, and who was a team player and who wasn't. Luckily, I left when Dream was just about to take off. I assume that's you know around the P. Diddy transition over. They wanted Dream to sign a recording contract without having our lawyers look at it. Our producers gave us an ultimatum then and there. If I didn't sign the contract right now, I could leave, so I left. So I just thought it was really interesting to get sort of her perspective. That's an abridged version of her blog. You can look that up if you want to. But eventually, yeah, I, I obviously was until doing research, had no idea that there was an original member that she had left sort of on sketchy terms, which is definitely not surprising. And it sounds like for mental health reasons, it's probably for the best that she left. But she was later replaced by Diana Ortiz, who was friends with Ashley Poole. Back to that court case for a second. So Fontaine, Sue, P. Diddy, and Holly, Melissa, and Ashley, days before their debut album, It Was All a Dream, was released, claiming that she was entitled to a percentage of sales, but she lost her court case. Now, onto their two giant singles, He Loves Me, He Loves You Not, their debut single, He Loves You Not, dropped September 5th of 2000. They had already recorded a handful of songs with Fontaine, so that's why she had kind of like a claim to sue them because included on their debut album, they had recorded with her, Miss You and Do You Want to Dance? So, I mean, I'm sure she ended up settling possibly later on for a percentage of possibly those songs if they were released as singles, but they were not. Anyway, under their new label, Bad Boy Baby, they enlisted the help of David Frank, Stephen Kipner, and Pamela Sheen. The latter two had written "Genie in a Bottle and a bunch of other like pop hits, but most recently leading up to them working with Dream, they had just written "Genie in a Bottle. Holly sang vocals. Melissa provided the, yeah, yeah, he loves you not. She, like, all of, like, the talky, like, vocal parts. <laughs> and you can see it in the music video, too. Like, she does, like, you know, the sassy vocal talking stuff, like the over-talk parts, which I think are just so distinctly mm-hmm. 2000 to 2002. They just make me laugh. Even though the single received mixed reviews, it peaked at number two on the Hot 100 over Destiny's Child's Independent Women. The music video was directed by Marcus Rayboy, takes place in three locations, which is like his whole kind of deal when he makes music videos. So one location was them in front of like a dream sign. Yep. The second location. That. Yep. And, and it was them in the, that like baby pink leather outfit. And then the second location was in that G- zero G room that they use in the Bye 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 video. Oh, right. And it's,
0: yeah. Well, that was the, f- I think the first time that was a big thing was the Jamiroquai video for Virtual Insanity. Like, I think that put the zero G room on the map. It won a yes, bunch of VMAs. Yeah.
1: That room was copied for Bye Bye Bye. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, that's
0: what I'm saying is like the Jamiroquai they- was the first to do it.
1: But they, Dream, shot in the exact same zero-G oh, room as Sync. Oh, okay. Sync, ripped off Jamiroquai. No, you are totally correct. The origin story is Jamiroquai, an icon, a legend, started zero-Gs in music videos. <laughs> but then it was co-op by pop. I forget off the top of my head because I didn't write it down. But there was another pop act. Oh, it was Sugar Ray. Oh, um, right. I just want to fly. And that... Yeah. That's the same. So that room was used three different times. It, for Incincks Bye Bye Bye, for Sugar Ray's Fly, and for Dreams He Loves You Not. Oh. I just thought that was an interesting little Yeah. piece of his pop
0: culture history. No, I I'm very impressed.
1: <laughs> um, and then the third location was like a desert, like Dune buggy situation. A la genie in the bottle, but if you swap the beach for like off-roading? Oh, <laughs> you're know. totally
0: right. And they they're off-roading with like dudes, right? Like they each have a boyfriend yes. figure who's who's like driving for them.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So okay. as I said before, it features this video features like their iconic baby pink. Matching leather outfits. They are an underrated dance group as well. I know I'm about to sound like an s- extreme senior citizen, but I do feel like the He Loves You Not dance is prime for like a TikTok revival because it's very like hands, arms, like really coordinated, super like sharp movements, like your Janet Jackson and like Rhythm Nation or whatever. So I feel like it's, you know, it's waiting. It's, it's there for you teens out there. If you want, there's a free idea for you.
0: Listen and, uh, up, TikTok teens, as long as TikTok <laughs> is available in America. How do you Here's do, challenge. TikTok
1: teens? <laughs> I have a dance challenge for you. No, I cannot do it because my knees are rickety, but you should try. Okay. He loves you not peaked at number two on TRL, and it was retired after 65 days. And now that was her though. This is me. (laughs) This is me was released in May of 2001 and was written by the same team that wrote. He loves you not. I
0: quick pause here. I love that both of their hit songs have, he loves me. He loves you not. That was her. This is me. Like there's a, the, the, you know, like it's not just a, a simple anyway, had to point that out. I think it's funny.
1: Well, I mean, I wrote this down later on when I talk about their last single that they released, but their generic ass song titles make it extremely difficult to fucking Google without being like dream, girl group, song. <laughs> this this is me. You know how many fucking this is me's there are? Like a fuckload. What are you doing, you guys? <laughs> I understand that it's like a broad appeal, you know, so that they can be released internationally and do really well and it's easy to translate. I totally understand it from a marketing perspective, but from like a Google search, like SEO, like this is a fucking shit show. yeah, yeah. Okay, This Is Me was not as successful as He Loves You Not, which only peaked at 39 on the Hot 100. But because they were on a hip hop R&B label and Diddy, according to the girls around this time, was pushing them to be more urban, they released an official remix of the song in July of 2001. And that was the group's third and final single in this formation and on the Bad Boy label. Actually, I take that back. It's not the last single on the Bad Boy label. There will be one more, but it will be in this formation with the original members of Holly melissa ashley and diana it features diddy and this rapper kane which i will get to in a second because <laughs> oh boy did i have a fucking chuckle watching this music video because i re the original because i had to send you that screenshot of what holly's wearing which i still unclear if it's a thong over jeans or if it's like a crotchless thing and then she's i like i don't i cannot make heads or tails of this outfit but i have a very vivid memory you know between Christine Aguilera's like dirty video saga, and then Britney Spears in uh, Slave For You. Like, that's like the, th- I remember it was like part of the trend, but it's so, it's still bizarre to see. It's like, who okayed wearing underwear outside your pants? Like, Doug And, uh, and someone who's under
0: 18, point, let's, let's, let's remind everyone yes. who's listening under 18. <laughs> I
1: understand that like Doug Funny would want this for all of us as Quail Man, but like, we need to evolve. <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> There are some trends where you're like, what were we doing? Like, clearly, this is drug induced. It makes no other sense. Okay, back to the remix. So it features P-, P. Diddy and it features Kane, and it was produced by Marvin, or I'm sorry, it was produced by Mario Winesse, who's a pretty prominent R&B producer. This version of This Is Me was regularly performed during their tour, the Total Request live tour, which I will get into that also later. So the V1 of the This Is Me music video was also directed by Marcus Rayboy, who had directed He Loves You Not. It's another three-scene music video setup. this original one, which is where the thong over jeans situation happens to us. Um, And and this has got to be like a budget thing. So first of all, they're depicted, each Dream member is depicted in a different color-coordinated room. So we've got Red for Holly, and she's got like red accents, and she's the one with the underwear outside of her pants. I will not let that go. I refuse to let it go. (laughs) Melissa's room is gold, blue for Diana, and white for Ashley. This is where Ashley is wearing that the, her most iconic outfit, I think, where she's like in a white fuzzy hat and white fuzzy jacket, and she really looks like Pink's little sister. Like it's kind oh, of oh yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Oh my yeah. god! And
1: Emily, this is the music video that I sent you. The screenshot of yes. the comment from someone that's like about Ashley. They're like, "Dang, she looks mad in this music video too." And for some reason, <laughs> that it's comment. So- that comment took me all the way out. I do not know why. I was just like, what the fuck? She does kind of look mad.
0: But she, I think that's how she looks when she's excited. But she also, I remember, if I recall correctly in the group, she was the one who kind of, because she had short hair, like, she wasn't punk, but, like, I feel like they, you know, she's she was kind of the edgy. She's the she's tomboy. The, she's the sporty spice, if we she's had to the put the it on the sporty spice, the sailor mercury, I guess. I don't know. <laughs>
1: I mean, honestly, I cannot get over how much she looks like Pink, though, especially with yeah. that hair. Like, yeah, her and Pink should have done, like, I don't know, a, a life size or something, <laughs> like some sort of spinoff. That was a missed casting opportunity. I don't know what's someone along the way dropped the fucking ball there. OK, so the second setup, they're like hanging out with skaters inside who can also dance. There's like a dance break. Ashley was a strong dancer and so was Diana. So they got two separate dance breaks where they dance with like some skateboarders or whatever their main thing though, across all three of their music videos as this foursome is that they love to like be standing shoulder to shoulder and like push each other out of the way playfully and like laugh and smile. And like, I don't know, kind of mug. It's very sweet. And I think it really adds to this like kind of like wholesome, like we're just friends and like, we happen to like get famous and can you believe? And I think that's, truly their entire charm is yeah. hinges on that and so lastly oh man hope you're ready for this lastly and most bafflingly the third scene starts with them slow mo exiting a limo which i have no problem with but their door is being held open by somebody in head to toe dog costume what? i yes if you watch this music video if you watch this is me the og version the very last setup where there's like kind of like a slowdown because in all of their songs, they have this like kind of like dance break part. Right. Yes. And so they slow-mo pull up in a limo and as their limo is pulling up a man, I assume or I mean, because he's because he's tall. I assume it's a man, but it could be a tall woman. I'm not trying to gender anyone, a tall person dressed as a dog, but not like Clifford the dog, but like kind of like a dingy like somebody was like, hey, do you have like a weird <laughs> costume or something that you could bring to set tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, I got this like weird dog costume the way that like my friend, my friend John Cross has like a weird bear costume in his closet and like a weird pig costume. And it's like, it has like a head, like a mascot head on it. And it's so fucking incongruous with the rest of this fucking music video (laughs) when you watch it i dare you not to scream because i was like what the fuck who is this some pa that they were like yeah we need someone to open the door put on your dog helmet and like just go do it it's i'm sorry i could spend 20 minutes talking about how fucking weird it is but i'll spare you Uh... okay anyway the (laughs) this music video ends with them performing in like a mid-sized club (laughs) sorry there makes another appearance with the dog the dog also works at the club
0: oh my god what sorry. what is the theme and you know what's what would be would have been best like if this dog had had a recurring role in all their music videos like know, right? i'm trying to think like there are definitely artists like remember we talked about limp biscuit and fred durst had like the chicks dressed like him who show up Guys, in all his like, music videos
1: a dog to be like a reoccurring game <laughs> Exactly. What's more awesome than a fucking dog, dude? That exactly.
0: so Exactly. I mean, it feels like an
1: idea that never went anywhere or it feels like something that's like an inside joke. And maybe that's why I think it's so funny. But like, you think he's just done because he opens their door. He's like some sort of like weird dog door opener. But no, he's like a DJ at the club. Anyway, I respect the fact that they put Dream in like literally like a mid-sized club, which I feel it's just it made me laugh so hard because I'm like, yeah, I feel like they could pack that club out. It's like maybe like a max capacity of like 200 people. <laughs> It's just, it really really tickled me. It's such a feasible goal. They're just really like a realistic band. I just appreciated that. So this music video peaked at number one on TRL, making them the first girl group to reach that spot on the show. Of course, now we got, I mean, these two videos back to back are just so fucking funny. Okay, so now we got to talk about the video for the remix of This Is Me, which was directed by Chris Robinson, who is a prolific music video director. In relation to this podcast alone, he's directed is One Thing, Mandy Moore's oh, Candy, yeah. uh-huh. in addition to Mary J. Blige music videos, Jay-Z. His feature film debut was ATL, starring T.I. I mean, this dude's a fucking legend. So he, he made this music video. And, oh... Uh, God bless Diddy's dancing in this. He looks like your uncle on the dance floor at a wedding, just like trying to get in the mix. Like, uh -uh, uh, uh -uh, uh -uh. like it is just, and he's got the all white fit and then an all black fit for, you know, the two different rooms that they're in. We're going to continue the three location theme here. Like why complicate things? And like that, the hat, the Congo hat pulled down. Sorry. Kangal hat pulled all the way down. Sunglasses indoors. Like he As I said earlier, he lives every moment of his life as if someone is going to make a biopic right
0: fucking now. Truly, truly. I mean, he changes his name every 10 years or something like it's fantastic.
1: What isn't it now? Like, oh, I'm love. I'm like, I'm not calling you that. I've been calling you like so many other things my whole life. I stopped at Diddy and I just alternate between Diddy and Puff. And that's pretty much it. Okay, so now we need to have a moment for the quote unquote rapper Kane with a K. Who shockingly looks like an extra from The Sopranos? Like he looks like he could be in AJ's class or something, or in like AJ's like support therapy group. He <laughs> wraps a line about something to the effect of like gonna spend a lot of money on my lady. And then he literally drops a fucking one crumpled dollar. And, and it's egregious that no one likes that. It is egregious. What is this? One dollar?
0: $1. I mean, he, you know, McDonald's menu, I, it gets you a lot there. That's, that's all I can think
1: of. <laughs> Emily, if it's not a $10 so I can get a $10 party pack from Taco Bell, I don't want it. But still, I just thought it was so funny because P. Diddy is literally sitting right behind him like this man has so much money. I bet he has $1,000 in cash in his pocket right now oh, for just sure. in case.
0: I and do you can't like throw things around. I do like to think about the image, the conversation that happened earlier, where Kane was like, "Yo, Diddy, do you mind lending me like two hundred dollars at least that I can just throw around in this music video?" And and Diddy's like, "You can earn that yourself." Exactly. And, I like, and only <laughs> He
1: just showed Diddy up. Diddy was $100. like, ha, Here's my used napkin. Sell it on eBay." And walked <laughs> off. <laughs> I bet Diddy was just like, "No," and just no, walked away, and just walked away. <laughs> Anyway, my favorite YouTube comment about this dude specifically, someone said he looks like a pizza delivery guy that works in Jersey City, which is also a correct take of what he looks like. We've got this opening where Diddy lets us know that this is the remix. He intros all of the dream gals who are all matching in bad boy crop top raglan shirts. And so there's the intro room, which is all white, which is where Diddy's wearing an all white kind of like sweatsuit and he like dances individually with the girls sort of in the background like there's a, straight up towards the end this video becomes unhinged where like he diddy is like dancing literally like in the back by himself again very much like uncle at a wedding vibe like just like eh-eh, 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 just like grooving in the background while these ladies are like singing and like doing all sorts of shit you just see diddy like bopping around in the back which is just so fucking funny and then they transition to their like nighttime look portion of the video where they're like in an all black cube that's very money ain't a thing, mace and P. Diddy kind of vibes because it's got like the club lights going as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you got just Diddy two-stepping throughout both of these scenarios <laughs> just in his own fucking world. And then we end with a scene that is just Dream, no Diddy. Um, In a warehouse because it's, like, very concrete and they've got, like, the Chicago cell block tango backdrop where, like, there are people allegedly dancing, like, on rafters and, like, uh, near them, but they're, like, behind curtains so you can't really see them. But really, my favorite moment is the solo dance break with Just Diddy, intercut (laughs) with Mario (laughs) Wanask playing the drums. (laughs) Uh, All right. So it was all a dream, That's the title of their debut album, which dropped January 23rd, 2001 and peaked at number six on the Billboard 200 and sold more than half a million copies, which is pretty good. It was a huge hit with the TRL MTV crowd, which is how they landed an opening slot for the TRL live tour with Destiny's Child and Nelly as the headliners. The TRL live tour, the first and only, launched in July of 2001 and also featured Jessica Simpson, who was replaced by City High when she left to go do her own tour, and Eve. And was hosted by Carson Daly and Solange. It abruptly ended after 9-11. I'm going to take a really brief consumerism detour before we get to what you guys probably already know what we're going to get to. At their peak, Dream had a surprising amount of merch. They got their own hit clips, which is the ultimate scam to charge oh, you $4 oh, for 30 seconds of a song that only comes on like some random iPod thousand. knockoff.
0: Yes, yes, which I, I definitely did have a hit clips at one point. I, what a waste of money, like truly the biggest gimmick of all time. But if you were someone with a hit clip, at least one, and all sorts of merch tied to that in 2000, 2001, you were somebody. You were fucking did- somebody. <laughs> <What>?
1: <laughs> <Emily>. <laughs> it's really funny that you say that, though, because... As I had said, I'm reading Larger Than Life right now. And there's like a whole section where she talks about hit clips and how you like people traded hit clips. And it was like, we were just like, oh, give me all of the like total scam plastic bullshit. But what I want to ask is what singles or what hit clips did you have on yours? Because I had one. I broke it. And my mom was like, never again. And so I just had to borrow other people's hit clips at camp. So I'm dying to know what hit clips oh, did yes. you have?
0: What did I have? I had a Backstreet Boys one for sure. Naturally. Um, yeah. I had Sync, Bye Bye Bye.
1: Oh, I had
0: soul a song by Soul Decision.
1: I think. Oh um, no! <laughs> I, okay, oh, no. I
0: really liked Soul Decision. I, I I think I was just excited that there was like a Canadian boy band that had made it big. So like, I had their album. Um, and then I think I had one by maybe like uh, Destiny's Child, and maybe one by Bewitched, like potentially.
1: Oh, the Bewitched tracks. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. All right. How about so you? more
1: surprising. Oh, I don't even remember. I think I got. I got the hip clips. I might have just gotten like a Spice Girls, like a, a starter pack, right? Like a Spice right. Girls, a, probably a Backstreet Boy and possibly a Witch. But like I said, I broke it almost immediately because that's how that's what I did with almost everything until I don't even know, like maybe even high school, I stopped breaking things immediately the second I got them. But yeah, those are the those are the three I think I got maybe like a Britney, but they kind of like what. They came and they went very quickly, at least at like my middle school, like elementary school, middle school age. Um, And then I think soon, soon enough, we were like burning CDs and shit. So it it got kind of like eclipsed by it. And it was it kind of became a novelty as it was still happening, if that makes any sense. Yes. But more surprising than the hit clips, the Dream Girls had a line of dolls produced by Play Along Toys. And to give you an idea of what else is being pitched and approved around the Play Along Toys conference rooms in 2001, in addition to a line of Dream the Girl group dolls, they produced an Aaron Carter doll, Spy Kids 2 doll, Precious <laughs> Moments dolls, oh, God. Lisa Frank dolls. Oh, there's more. 18 dolls. Together, oh. the, the satirical boy band, the MTV <laughs> boy band movie, Together dolls and LFO dolls. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. Dolls that no one ever asked who, for
1: truly who bought these who bought I don't these? This know is not funko this is not a funko pop situation no and,
0: and not even like none of these people acts were big enough to merit a doll like very very few like very
1: maybe few. lisa frank but yes. lfo and 18s what are we precious moments precious moments are dolls what are we talking about i don't know Wh- what <laughs> all right so on to a section that i titled in my notes as claims another career. Oh, no. (laughs) Though Bad Boy Records, uh uh-uh, baby, uh, had planned to release Miss You and In My Dreams, which probably could have been a lawsuit because of Judith Fontaine's involvement in their first version of being recorded. Those are supposed to be their next two singles, and promotional copies of Miss You were shipped out. It was never released to a wider audience. According to Holly, it was partly because of 9-11 and Bad Boy was a New York-based label. She says, quote, the music industry changed and the emotional current of the nation was different. We didn't want to hear party songs and even a love song was cute, but there needed to be something more responsive, which is something that we kind of heard a lot when we were doing our One Hit Wonder episode.
0: Yeah, no, I remember that. It's just like a it's it's such a common theme that comes up over and over again.
1: And to really tie it back to One Hit Wonders, similar to what happened to Willa Ford, the business had changed so much and so quickly yes. in some ways to be sensitive to the time. But also, you know, people come and go and record labels all the time in the process, as we've heard time and again, somewhere along the way, a quote unquote ball was dropped. And on top of that dream at the time, before you know, even under the best of circumstances, say 9-11 doesn't even happen they were at the end of their album promo cycle for all for it was all a dream. They were kind of like wrapping up this TRL tour. They were going to release another single or two, but even if those singles were being released, they would be in ostensibly, they would be in the studio at that time that 9-11 was happening, recording their follow-up. But instead that didn't really happen. And by 2002, Melissa Schumann left the group to pursue acting. Diddy went on TRL that April to announce the news after making a non-making-the-band televised search to find Melissa's replacement, they settled on Casey Sheridan, who was 15 at the time, and it was announced that they were going to work on their follow-up album due to be be released that fall. And now we're going to kind of, like, get into the end of Dream, basically. So they spent April of 2002 onward in the recording studio working on their sophomore album, Reality, which would only see the light of day in limited quantities in France, two years what? after the what? band breaks our, up
0: our motherland
1: <laughs> yes it was the only place they released reality initially and and they released it two years after the band broke up so say you find it and you're like some french teen in french like oh my god i love them can't wait those is sweat you you would be fucked you would never you would have to go back you know you wouldn't be able to that's it just wouldn't it wouldn't be a reality for you Oh my in God. better times, in the making of reality, they worked with Scott Storch, who I keep telling you we need to do. Oh, some for Scott sure. Storch retrospective. Um, there is a well, verses of Scott Storch and Manny Fresh, which is like just a great playlist on Spotify. But
0: I will spend maybe twenty minutes talking about Christine Aguilera's diss track "Fuss Fuss," which is clearly supposed to be about Scott Storch.
1: <laughs> and also, I think Paris Holton has beef with him too. I think, uh, yeah. Anyway. Needless to say, at the time in 2002, you wanted to be working with Scott Storage. They also worked with Dark Child, Dusty's Child producer, also worked on Britney Spears' Blackout, which is like her best album. And kind of like head scratchingly enough, Wade Robson, the choreographer, worked on this album. Huh. They came back to the scene with a new member and a sexier look, and their single, Crazy, sometimes with the K, sometimes with the C, featured a label mate, rapper Loon. It didn't do nearly as well as He Loves You Not. It ended up only peaking at 39 on the mainstream top 40. And the press was mixed to critical, especially about their new look, because their newest member, Casey Sheridan, at the time that they were promoting this crazy single was 16. And the girls were already vocally against not only crazy being the single that they led this next album off with, but also with their new image for this record promotion cycle The next single, That's Okay, which, again, like I said earlier, all these generic names are, like, making me fucking crazy. It was supposed to feature Fabulous. That was announced, but it was never released. And Reality was initially supposed to be released in May of 2003, but got pushed back numerous times. And Ultimately, Dream was dropped and Bad Boy, the group eventually disbanded. But there was never, like, a formal announcement around that. And then in 2008, Reality was officially released to the States on iTunes. Post-Dream, Ashley Poole and Melissa Schumann pursued solo singing careers, and Holly joined the uh, California-based band called World Magnet, which I'd never heard of. And maybe I I could have looked more into it, but I was like, yeah, I was like, (laughs) don't know. Don't know if I care. In April of 2006, Holly talked MTV News about the end of Dream, and that the girls were not into the new image, and the label kept pushing it on them and pushing it on them. And they had stopped enjoying making music, and it just seems like they kind of mutually agreed to part ways it wasn't really working. Not to just wrap up Dream, the reunion up until now in 2008, Melissa tried the first attempt at a reunion when it didn't pan out. She and Ashley Poole created Lady Phoenix. And after they added Diana Ortiz, uh, they were going to shoot the search for their fourth member for a potential reality show. But by 2012, Melissa...
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why UnitedHealthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor-guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: ...said confirmed that Lady Phoenix had disbanded after Ashley left and the show never got picked up. But in 2015, some semblance of a reunion finally stuck when they posted a video, I think on YouTube, of them singing the a cappella version of He Loves You Not. Off of that success, they recorded a cover of Oh Holy Night as part of like a larger holiday album they were looking to record, which then led to their 2016 My 2K Tour with 98 Degrees, O-Town, Ryan Cabrera, and New Kids on the Block. They released their first single since 2001 in this OG formation called, I believe in August of 2016 as well. But sadly by October, 2016, Ashley pool announced on Snapchat and Facebook that dream had once again disbanded and a new album would not be released. And now, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, you know, I I don't really want to get into it, but I would feel weird not mentioning that like around 2018, Melissa came out and shared her story of being raped by Nick Carter in 2002. This was after that she had left. It was after she had left dream while they were working on a movie together. Um, I would highly recommend you read her interview in her words on Daily Beast, which I find there's also some more illuminating tidbits about dream scattered throughout there. But, you know. I'm glad that she came forward with her story and is a voice in the Me Too movement. And it seems like this is not a one-off incident for Nick Carter. And, (laughs) you know, I think all you need to do, just do one Google, just do one Goog. And I understand that the other, with the exception of Kevin Richardson, who I think, you know, takes the best route, which is don't fucking say anything, but I guess, and Howie as well has not said shit, but I guess Brian and AJ have- made comments in the press, and I understand you need to support your bro, but um, yeah, just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Don't say anything. But I'm not sure where her case stands now. I know that she had filed a police report with the Santa Monica Police Department, which is the city in which it took place, and that they had opened an investigation because I believe other people had also filed similar police reports, but I am unclear on where that case stands now, especially, you know, mid-pandemic. Who even fucking knows? Like, Like, cops even really care about rape stuff to begin with i'm sure in the middle of pandemic it's definitely someone's dropped the ball for sure 100 percent. but i think in a lot of ways she accomplished her goal just by bringing awareness to it um and we support most schumann and dream and it was really fun to go back and watch a lot of their music videos because i feel like it, they dream in circa 2000 it, watching them is kind of like seeing yourself reflected back in a lot of ways with like your friends being like, Oh yeah, I remember hearing the song at a dance or just mm-hmm. singing it all together. It just like brought back a lot of like warm and fuzzy memories. But I um can't say that I love too much of the rest of the this is it it was all a dream <laughs> album other it, than the I singles. Mean-
0: the, yeah, I was going to say, sadly, this was not an all killer, no filler uh, album mm-hmm. situation. But, you know, for their two songs, or I guess their three singles, if you count a remix, like, they 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 had a good time, they got what they could out of it. And um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like even though the band, you know, has had attempts at reunions, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of ill will towards the, you know, the members and they seem, you know, relatively think- still in touch.
1: Yeah, I think because they were friends and became better friends through this process, if, you know, you can glean anything from Alex Chester's comments about her time in the band even was like, and I think they've strengthened their bond that they all kind of keep in touch. I just don't think that I think, you know, everybody's life moves on in different ways. And I don't think that any of them kind of like have too much of an interest. And I think especially when you. Join in the entertainment industry, whether as an actor or as a recording artist, uh, depending on what kind of like foundation you have and the experience you have, it can kind of like sour you and not really make you want to do reunions all the time. But like I had said earlier, a lot of these groups in general, I think the shelf life of like four or five years and then a reunion here and there is kind of like a healthy amount You know, you should be able to, like, move on with your life if, you know, singing isn't what you want to make your full-time job, which is totally fine. But it can also be a sometimes monetizable hobby.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, What's interesting, I think, with, like, the difference with Dream and Wild Orchid, I think Wild Orchid in some ways, it sounds like, you know, they had moderate success. It was not great. But they seem to not have been too hurt by the business. And part of that, I think, is because they started later. I will say what's interesting, though, is that all three of the members, um, or at least two out of the three, were child stars before they even got to starting this group. But I, mm. I almost wonder if one, having been in the industry doing that before getting together as a group, and two, starting your music group, you know, when you're like 16, 17 versus. 13, 14, it's only a couple of years, but I feel like it, you know, somehow makes a big difference. Um, I think so. Yeah. With, so kind of like Dream. So some of these lesser known girl groups that we were doing research on as we were kind of making the decisions to finalize stuff, they had this one moment of super fame. So like Dream had these Mm -hmm. singles, they had their kind of hit run for a bit. But then there are others that are kind of known depending on when you listen to the radio or where you grew up or if you had like Fox family like me in this case. Um, But otherwise they were more famous adjacent is what I like to call it. Like, you know, they opened for someone really big or they may have been tied to like a famous, like a TV appearance or maybe they were even featured on like a Disney Channel concert. But like Mm -hmm. they weren't super duper famous on their own. And Wild Orchid I think is a great example of a famous adjacent group they had a song or two that some people might know or like i said you might know them as the co-hosts of that lip-syncing show great pretenders but ultimately i don't think as many people know who they are in comparison to dream because it was kind of like they had some moderate sex uh, success in the mid 90s but it wasn't like huge um and after that they really unless you caught them on tour with like opening for Insync, you really didn't know who they were People will obviously recognize the group's name, though, because of its most famous alum, Stacy Ferguson, aka Fergie Ferg. This is why oh, we yes. call the Fergie Ferg origin story. Uh, <laughs> the reason, just like Wolverine,
1: we have just the like- Fergie Ferg or- origin story, in- in directed by movie- James Mangold. It's a rugged, dirty version. <laughs>
0: this is our OMCU. We're bringing back the old millennials <laughs> cinematic Bring universe. It back. It's been a few seasons, baby, but we're back. We're back and we're better than ever. We're
1: adding Fergie's origin story to our slate coming out 2022.
0: Getting the gritty reboot it deserves. Um, The reason (laughs) Fergie ends up joining the Black Eyed Peas, actually, is I found out doing this research. She's straight up Travis Barker's wild orchid. Like Travis Barker, as many of you know, ended up in Blink 182 because he was in the Aquabats. And at the time the Aquabats were touring with Blink 182, and he ends up filling in for Scott Raynor, the original drummer, after things weren't working out, and then uh they got they invited ta- uh, Travis to join. Anyway, more on that later, but just know there's a little bit of like a Travis Barker twist to this. I was just surprised. I love that.
1: I love that for us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just surprised at how long Wild Orchid was together. But then again, I always forget that Fergie is older than I think she is. She's actually like in her late, mid to late forties at this point. Uh, Wild Orchid was together from 1990 to 2003, originally first formed as the band NRG and styled by using the letters NRG. Um. And during most of its incarnation was made up of Renee Sands, Stacey Ferguson, and Stephanie Redell. Ferguson and Sands know each other or knew each other from the time on the amazing 80s slash early 90s TV show Kids Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Stacy Ferguson, aka Fergie Ferg, and on Wikipedia, still apparently legally Fergie Duomel was born. Really? Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize been when been she had changed her name.
1: So They've, I mean, they have been together for a while.
0: A couple years. They announced their separation in 2017. I too had thought that that separation happened earlier. Um, so Stacey Ferguson was born uh, March 27th, 1975, which means she shares a birthday with my mom, my friend Melanie and Mariah Carey. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And in addition to Kids Incorporated, she voiced, she was a child star, so she voiced Sally Brown in a few Peanuts of specials in the 80s and made an appearance on Mr. Belvedere and, meanwhile, Renee Sands, whose real name is Renee Sandstrom. So throughout this entire thing, as I was doing my research, I kept misspelling her last name to say Sandstorm, as in this song, Sandstorm by Darude. <laughs> you mean,
1: yeah, you mean Eileen's favorite song?
0: <laughs> didn't think we'd have uh, a stand stand uh, from connection uh, here we are yes.
1: here yep. we are um, you're making she was, it happen this is i'm you. making
0: it happen mm-hmm. um so so renee sands uh like is also a child star and so they're both on the show kids incorporated as a kid i during the one of the like few periods of time my family had the disney channel which we got rid of At one point, because that shit was super expensive. Um, They would air reruns of this show either or before or after the Mickey Mouse Club. And I was really obsessed with this as a small child. Like for whatever reason, I love the show. It's like part sitcom, teen drama, part music show. There's like a plot point with some sort of after school special vibe to it. And then the kids would just jump into song and dance. It's a little like Glee before Glee, but like really cheesy 80s production value. Um, There are a lot of what's cool about the show, though, is in addition to Stacey Ferguson and Renee Sands, um, by the way, I will stop referring to her as Stacey Ferguson in a bit because I realize we just all know her as Fergie. Uh, The (laughs) other famous cast members that came out of the show include um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Mario Lopez, Martika, who in the 80s, she was like a one hit wonder singer and she'll end up becoming their band manager later on in the 90s. Eric Balfour, Shanice, and Brian Friedman, who's gone on to do a lot of choreography for Britney Spears on her tours. And in like the 2010s and some of her music videos.
1: Sounds familiar. Yes.
0: Um, so Fergie and Sands were on Kids Incorporated. They later befriended and decided to start this NRG group with their friend, Stephanie Riedel. She also had been a child actor in the 80s. She had been on The Facts of Life, Punky Brewster, Golden Girls, and then later Blossom and Married with Children in the 90s. Energy stand stood for New Rhythm Generation, which just sounds like a ripoff of Prince's Band in the 90s. Like after the revolution broke up, he was like Prince <laughs> in the New Power Generation.
1: So true.
0: <laughs> um, eventually, they have a fourth member by the name of Heather Holyoke join the group and they started looking to get a record deal. In February of 1991, they perform in a nightclub in L.A., but Heather Holyoke would soon leave the band to go to college. See, that seems like a more legitimate reason than a 14-year-old leaving due to, like, scheduling conflicts. Like, an 18-year-old being like, yeah, I think I want to go to college. And then she would be replaced by someone by the name of Mickey Duran, while I couldn't while I couldn't find much info on Heather Holyoke, Mickey Duran was an actress dancer who made a lot of appearances in movies and TVs in the nineties and two thousands. So she showed up as a dancer on a lot of things, including Moesha and the Nickelodeon sketch slash musical comedy show that Margot and I like we only oh. discovered a week ago, Roundhouse.
1: Oh. I nice. was
0: like Yes, full circle moment oh. here.
1: She it's was nice also- to know
0: that, like, someone was on it, you know? Exactly. I thought it was a fake show. Exactly. Um, it sounds fake. It sounds fake. She was also a dancer in the movies. She was in Clueless as a dancer. Jerry Maguire, The Wedding Planner, Orange County, Looney Tunes, Back in Action, and Burlesque, which I was excited to see. But NRG, show me how you
1: burlesque. You gotta show, show me, show me how, you how you burlesque.
0: There, there's little Cher and Christine Aguilera connections in this uh, portion of Wild Orchid's life, so it's kind of funny that she would end up being a burlesque. NRG and is able to get a showcase with BMI later in 1991. Would go on to perform a sold to a sold out crowd. They end up changing their name to Wild Orchid in 1992 because their old manager claimed that they owned the rights to it. And the, in the process, they got rid of the manager and then they hired their friend Martika, the one who was like the one hit wonder in the 80s, uh, to be their manager. By the way, this will be, like I said earlier, the last time I referred to Stacy Ferguson as Stacy because it feels weird to not call her Fergie. The group later signed a deal with Sony Publishing and RCA Records in 1994, which is also the time that Mickey Duran left the group to join Roundhouse. At this point, they decide to stay a trio and begin their career at RCA. They released their first single in 1996, titled At Night I Pray, which reached number 63 on the Billboard Hot 100 in September and would be their highest charting single. The music video is directed by Marcus Nispel, who had quite a decade of directing music videos. A lot of old millennials like references here, but CNC Music Factories, gonna make you sweat everybody dance now. All for One, I Swear, Crystal Waters, 100% Pure Love, Tevin Campbell, I'm Ready, No Doubt, Spiderwebs, Fuji's Ready or Not, Spice Girls, Spice Up Your Life, Puff Daddy and the Family, featuring the Notorious B.I.G. and Busta Rhymes, Victory. And finally, to cap it off with another lesser-known girl group, if you want to dance by the band Nobody's Angel, which was like Disney's response to this like lesser known girl band craze. Like they had one that was signed to Hollywood Records and was like that a sounds fixture. That's pretty
1: familiar. If you remember model Name.
0: behavior, like that movie model oh, behavior. Oh yes.
1: Well the it's fans. funny that you that's funny that you say that because model behavior did come up in my dream research. I don't oh. think that anybody from Dream was in it, but I think this rat, not rash, but like um between um like in sync and like another um not cheetah girls but uh, i think 702 someone from like 702 made like a leap into acting like once they had their first album out it seemed like a lot of these groups that were sort of manufactured behind the scenes Mm -hmm. all kind of made like a concerted effort to try to transition into tv and movies by doing for sure tv movies for like abc family for nickelodeon for disney for fox family whatever
0: that's Justin timberlake's first foray in acting outside of like mickey mouse club is that he's in model behavior certainly became a better actor later on um Hmm.
1: i don't know emily Uh. i feel like better is a very strong term he's (laughs) okay on snl i mean like let's just call a spade a (laughs) spade here Nobody's like, oh, you know what movie I really want to rewatch? Trouble with the Curve. Like nobody's like no. fucking caring about his starring. And nobody liked his lesser No Strings Attached movie. What was his one with Mila Kunitz? That oh, was just Friends like the action Yeah, there you go. Yeah,
0: which we're right. No Strings Attached is a far better movie. Um, But that's See, also because- See, I just
1: said, the lesser No Strings Attached.
0: <laughs> well, it's also like, there's like, you know, it's Ivan Reitman directed it. And then Liz Merriweather is the screenwriter. So it's just like such a good, you know- it's, Well, well, what,
1: well. Yeah.
0: Anywho- Anywho, um, so the 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 band Wild Orchid would release their self titled debut in 1997. Would peak at 153 on the Billboard 200 albums chart. It's gone on to sell a million copies worldwide. This is their most successful album. It's mainly produced by Ron Fair, who we've talked about on the podcast because he basically discovered Christina Aguilera and mentored her early on in her career, produced her first album. He also served as a mentor for Vanessa Carlton, Keisha Cole, Pussycat Dolls, and to bring everything full circle, The Black Eyed Peas and Fergie. The- <laughs> The first album that they released was nominated for two Billboard Music Awards, two Soul Train Lady of Soul Award nominations, and an American Music Award nomination for Favorite R&B Soul New Artist. Later to promote the album, they toured with 98 Degrees and NSYNC and did a promo tour in the U.S., Canada, and Japan. And this is a great example of the famous adjacent again. Like, they're never going to headline a major tour throughout their career. Um, The only kind of bigger tours they'll do are opening for some boy bands and later Share, which we'll talk about. They released their second album, Oxygen, which was also produced by Ron Fair, as well as J.C. Chazay. In September 1998, which I'm surprised Shazay is already producing albums in 98. Like this is pre No Strings Attached. So I'm a little I was just surprised that that's, you know, uh, the like where we we decided JC Shazay could be a producer. But this album would only go on to sell about 22,000 copies in the US Um, that this is when their popularity starts to fade quite a bit. And if we're looking at dates here, keep in mind September 1998 is about three months after Jerry Halliwell left the Spice Girls and right around the time that the Spice Girls start to begin their decline. So, you know, for girl groups, it's not a great landscape, I guess, if you can call it that. Um, But this is also the time that they start hosting Fox Family show Great Pretenders which was on from 1998 to 2001. So the premise, as I may have mentioned earlier, is that kids and preteens would lip sync to hit songs and compete for audience votes and prizes. And it was like you would have a couple of people compete in, and then I think there was like a final battle. I, I haven't seen the show in years, so didn't bother to look it up. Um, but
1: <laughs> Could you even find clips if you wanted to? It's, you Some know, of these shows I, can be hard to find. They
0: can be hard to find. I would definitely check it out, but i probably not. In 1999, they'll open for Cher's tour, the Do You Believe Tour uh, with Cyndi Lauper. And Hell yeah. such a, what a, like, I mean, pretty solid lineup. I, Wild Orchid, to be honest, like their music was was perfectly good. They're also very talented singers. So, I, this is the one thing I should say what sets apart Wild Orchid for some of these other girl groups, and not saying Dream, but some of the other ones that were like semi famous around this time is that uh, Wild Orchid like, was...
1: Um, like Innocence, the right. one from the Lou Pearlman documentary. And again, yes. not to say that their vocals were not good or whatever, but they weren't serious vocalists, maybe.
0: Right. And I think this is where like Wild Orchid ultimately kind of meets its demise. It's just like it, no one knew how to package them, probably. like They started out as R&B, mm-hmm. then they kind of took a a bubblegum pop turn, considering who they were touring with. So, mm-hmm. um, but... At this point, 1999, they've opened for share. This is also during this time, they go back um, into the studio to record additional tracks for a re-release of their second album in an effort to approve sales. Um, this release never happened. So, but I remember this was a thing for a while. A lot of artists would, would like release a re-release of their album with like four additional tracks or a remix. It truly feels like RCA was trying to read at aura the shit out of this group at one point. <laughs> like, First, they get this TV show hosting gig in 98. And the following year, they sing in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and additionally made appearances on Beverly Hills 90210 and got to perform on the show. So like, it just felt like they were trying to make something out of um, Wild Orchid. Despite these TV appearances and touring gigs, the group still continues to uh, not be able to replicate the success they captured with their first album. They begin working on their third album, Fire, which was mainly produced by, again, J.C. Chazay and featured some songs written by him. Um, They record between 99 and 2000, this album, and it's originally supposed to be released later that year, but gets pushed back to 2001. And unfortunately, the group was also slated to open for part of Instinct's No Strings Attached Tour. They had to pull out of the tour, and unfortunately it's because Fergie was dealing with her addiction to crystal meth at the time. Um, Ooh, yeah, I'd forgotten about this, but yeah, Fergie did Me struggle too. with drug addiction pre-Black Eyed Peas, Um, and it was while she was in Wild Orchid. To lighten the subject matter, though, I did look up the opening acts for this tour, and it included so many groups we've talked about on this podcast. So Pink cisco these are like all for different legs by the way um so pink cisco in a sense to bring back in a sense lil Bow wow. it all goes back it all uh-huh. goes back to something we've already talked about oh god dream See? dream open for them soul okay. decision and the sugar hill gang which I more soul decision I know I like there's just not enough material to do an episode on them, but like maybe I would do a, like a member episode on them. Wild Orchid will go on a fleet release the first single from that album in May of 2001 called Stuttering Don't Stay, which reached number 33 on the Billboard Top 40 singles sales chart. Again, one of our crazy Billboard charts, which probably doesn't exist anymore, Additionally, speaking of lesser known girl groups, Wild Orchid wrote a song for the group Eden's Crush in 2001 called What's Good for the Goose, which just sounds like a <laughs> Top Gun tribute song. I was about
1: to say that. I was like, is it for like a failed Top Gun reboot? That's not the one that we're about to get, but like one from back then. That's insane. Yeah. What girl group, copy- especially Eden's Crush, would know? Okay.
0: Sure. I did sure. copy sure. some of so the song oh, is no here. Emily. Oh no. Just the chorus. You wanna hang with the boys tonight while I'm waiting right here for you. If you wanna know how I feel, here's the answer. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I cannot believe this some is, foul that's
1: like trying to be co-opted into pop music. That is a really wild lyric, let alone title hook. What have you? Can you imagine as, singing that as a singer? Could you imagine singing is, that and
0: having to sell it? Not only does Eden's crush put this on the album, or their label decides to, this, this is the song rock. they chose as the album opener, coincidentally, well, or maybe they didn't not. Choose
1: it. The label probably the label chose it. it.
0: Coincidentally, their label ends up filing for bankruptcy. Like a year or two, like, <laughs> you think
1: it's because the goose and the gander did it. You I think mean, it, it was
0: uh, it, To be fair, I think they were under Warner under their label Sire Records, which had been huge in the seventies and eighties. Oh, yeah. Like I think Talking Heads was on Sire at one point. Like. But like a lot of these subsidiaries, this is 2000, 2001, like things are not ha- going well. But it is coincidental <laughs> that Eden's Crush only released one album. As many of you might remember, Eden's Crush included Nicole Scherzinger, who will come up later in uh, later in the Fergie Ferg origin story. It's also in May of 2001 that Wild Orchid performs a show hosted by Minneapolis radio station KDWB with the Black Eyed Peas and Fergie Meets Will I Am. They talk about producing her solo album. This is when you might remember a couple years prior, he was known as Will 1X. This is pre-Black Eyed Peas and was featured on a track on Brian Austin Green's rap album that we talked about a few episodes ago.
1: I don't want uh, to
0: yeah. We'll never have to that. talk about it again. It's done. It's done. 2001. <laughs> 2001, no, 2001 you know what you
1: just did? You just cursed us to talk about Will X, I, whatever, plus Brian Austin Green's rap career for like the rest of 2020. That's what it's going to come up in weird ways. You know, it is.
0: It's true. 2001 was another, was continued to be an interesting year for Wild Orchid in a how can this be more 2001 twist. The group became spokesmodels for Bongo Jeans, which I was texting <laughs> about. As they we were looking at, I sent you a picture of this album cover. I'm like, is this just like a byproduct of 2001? You're like, it looks like a wet seal ad. I'm like, well, it, does. it really does. Um, They also had their own concert special on Much USA, which was a U.S. version of the Canadian music channel, Much Music. music? Yes, I remember that channel. I had it because this was at the point my family had gotten satellite TV. So we had Disney Channel again, but it was like 2001. This channel is what we now call Fuse. The year. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of those weird kind of sub music channels in the early, mid 2000s that had, you know, their heyday and then get consolidated. I think there were a couple of other ones at the time. The year takes a turn for the worse in terms of Wild Orchid's future when RCA refuses to release their album Fire in July of 2001. And this is bleak. They performed their last live gig as a trio at SeaWorld in San Diego. Oh, no. Yes. Yes.
1: It doesn't get darker than that. It does if not get If that is a
0: foreshadowing, I
1: don't know what is.
0: Their show Great Pretenders gets canceled as Fox Family gets bought by Disney and becomes ABC Family, which we now know as Freeform. Again, channels consolidation. To top things off, the group both gets dropped by RCA and Fergie leaves Wild Orchid. The group continues as a duo for two uh, for two years with Renee Sands and Stephanie Riddell, releasing the group's final album of new material called Hypnotic in 2003 on their own label, Yellow Brick Records. Um, but the album only sold 5,000 copies. They will... Release- that, yes. That's tough. <laughs> that's tough. There were no numbers on the Greatest Hits album that they released two years later. But that's really the end of Wild Orchids. So where are they now? Fergie is, well, Fergie. The Black Eyed Peas were auditioning for a fourth member to replace Kim Hill, who had been one of the original members and left the group. And it turns out Nicole Scherzinger auditioned for the female role in the group, but they end up going with Fergie instead, who am had met at the concert in Minneapolis. And the group goes from being a moderately successful hip hop group to a huge like massively successful group. They'll release their album Elefunk in 2003, which sells 9 million records. They released Monkey Business two years later, 9 million copies. And then the end in 2011 with 11 million copies and the beginning, the last album that she was on, which sold a little over a million. That's when it kind of drops off and Fergie leaves the group in 2018. Meanwhile, she will simultaneously release her solo album, The Duchess, in 2006, which has sold 6 million copies worldwide and included the singles Lennon Bridge, Glamorous, Fergalicious, Big Girls Don't Cry, and Clumsy. One of the songs on that album, Losing My Ground, was actually co-written with her Wild Orchid bandmates, so she stayed friends with them. On a personal note, she married Josh Duhamel in 2009, and they announced their separation in 2017, the next year, she would perform that infamous version of the Star-Spangled Banner at the NBA Finals, which was a bit jarring. She took a risk. Let's We'll put it at that. She took a risk. She, I
1: think she had like a really solid debut album that really yeah. got played for years. Like for her and Furtado had that thing where like, They had singles from their album that was like three years old, still getting heavy rotation on radio stations. to get
0: five singles, like five very successful singles. That's fucking unheard of Uh, now. Yeah, Yeah, never, never. So the Duchess, so the second album is Double Duchess. And yeah, it only sold 25,000 copies. She's had some rough years, but like I have to hand it to Fergie. She is certainly a part of our college soundtracks. Like the Duchess was like played at every party you went to. Oh my Um, God. I
1: mean, I have so many memories of being at like 18 and over clubs and that song coming on and me and my friend Bree just like losing our shit I mean it was just like every time I hear any of her songs from that album I am immediately thrown back to that time like 2006 or whenever it came out but yeah um, they're still bops and I have to say the I have to say Duchess is like almost a no skips album which is kind of hard
0: to do yeah no I would agree I would agree as it for... would have been, like,
1: on par with, like, Justin Timberlake's last point. Last <laughs> last point, I promise. She was, like, on track to be, like, Justin Timberlake. Um yes. yes, his debut, Justified. Like, it was kind of, like, on the same level. And I'm not sure if she had the same kind of, like, production team behind it. But, yeah, I don't know.
0: Fergie yeah, Ferg. No, forever. Fergie Ferg. Forever. Um, so, as for Renee Sands, who I think she goes by Renee Sandstrom now at this point. It um, actually goes by Renee Sandstrom Wells because she's married um, and took her husband's name. She's mostly made a career for herself doing session work for children's music albums. She huh. was the singing voice of Princess Fiona and Shrek 2, because Cameron Diaz oh. cannot sing.
1: <laughs> well, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Did not know that.
0: Um, she's sung on several Disney albums, including Superstar Kids, Superstar Kids 2, Mouser Size, Disney Cuties. She's on the Camp Rock soundtrack and Playhouse Disney Let's Dance. She also sang the Pump It Up jingle for Crystal Light commercials, and she had some songs on the soundtrack for the movie Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart. She's married Robbie Wells. She married Robbie Wells in 2008, who's a retirement investment expert, and they have a daughter. And it looks like she might have once had an Etsy page, which was linked to her IMDb page, but she's no longer selling anything there. To
1: ask you a quick question did you see that tia maury has an etsy collab happening <laughs> no, too but I, I didn't want to bring it up but then you brought up etsy and i was like i wanted to send you the instagram ad i was served i was like how dare you know that i've been watching sister sister on netflix and then target me with this fucking ad but yeah she has a, uh, a collaboration with etsy i don't even it's like oh all right i guess didn't know that was what we were waiting for
0: Stephanie Riddell has had probably one of the in, mo- most interesting trajectories because she um, started a techno dance group after Wild Orchid called Fifth Element. And it was like a year-long thing with a guy, DJ no Kyle Hendricks. No the Hendrix. movie. No, DJ Kyle Hendricks, otherwise known as DJ Rain. the, the album fuck was is that? Released. Am
1: I supposed to know who that is?
0: No, no. Okay, It was exclusively, this album was only available on this man's website. She later <laughs> co-founded oh, no. the t- she later co-founded the talent boot camp in which she teaches young, inspiring musical artists, or as her Wikipedia page says, a camp training today's greatest music sensations. I did Sorry, find your business-
1: watching the vow and that sounds like a cult. <laughs>
0: little bit, little bit. She does, you know, it's funny. You should bring that up. I will bring up something about that later. I did find her business's Facebook page, which hasn't been active since 2012. Her singing voice was featured on one of the Bratz movies um, in which she sang mm-hmm. the lead on two songs and co-wrote and co-produced many others. She actually ends up marrying Ron Fair. Like they got married in 2001, which I tried to find out how old Ron Fair was because I think she's probably like 40. There's There's a bit of an age difference there. But they have four kids together, and they've been together for almost 20 years. Um, I also checked out her website. Um, she now goes by Stephanie Fair. And she was on the Bravo TV show, There Goes the Motherhood, which I don't remember. But you being- Okay, be I, I remember PhD that. And Bravo. Okay. I She's, totally remember that happening. I
1: think it only lasted a season. I can't- All I remember from that show in the trailer was that one of the moms featured in this show had like a sex apartment with her husband and everyone was very scandalized by that. I was like, sounds kind of like a good idea if you ask me, but whatever. I I never watched it because I don't have an interest in any of that, but <laughs> I forgot to mention when you were talking about black eyed peas, we have a, a tangential connection to black eyed peas as Marianne, my best friend from childhood, her cousin is married to taboo. So, you know, just a little, we're we're all the same we're all bullshit. the same <laughs> we're I, all a part of black eyed peas
0: we're all we're at six degrees of black eyed peas <laughs> hey you know what it rhymes it works you know i think that's a fun game uh, if we can if that can be a drinking game I, i'd play that i think that's um, a good like musical version of six degrees of kevin bacon Six Degrees of Black. I mean, considering what we found out about Will I. am's life and Fergie's like everything, I think we could do pretty well. Now that we know that Taboo is married, I know that Taboo's married to Marianne's cousin. We just need to find out more about Apple D. App. That's like the one member. He's I don't the know
1: real wild about. card of the group. He's the
0: real- <laughs> Watch him be like related to like, there's a connection to Stephen Hawking in like Three Degrees or something. Oh, like
1: I thought you were going to go the other way. He's like related to like the Kushners or something. <laughs> no.
0: In terms of anything else really for Wild Orchid, uh, Stephanie is uh she she has a podcast called Manic Mom Days. Where Oh Lord she have mercy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there was one episode where I read the description and it sounds like she and her husband once attended a seminar and they were questioning if they had been, you know, at a seminar for what is a cult, a cult but I chose not <laughs> to listen to it. I decided to keep my time. But they seem to still be friends. Stephanie Fair posted a few years ago a photo from Fergie's 40th birthday. Ultimately, like I said earlier, this is a group that just like they didn't know how to market them, I think, and ultimately what was a group of people who were really talented vocalists just got kind of shafted, but it was kind of interesting to learn about a group that I only knew in one capacity and now know so much about. So that's wild orchid.
1: Are you going to start listening
0: to their music? Are you just going to like add them to a bunch of playlists? I will casually listen and I'll let you know if there are any bops. Okay. Yes.
1: I, I started, and I meant to tell you this when we did the one hit wonders episode, but I started a one hit wonders playlist Maybe we could just do like a playlist for the season and we could add some dream stuff, some wild orchid. I did it that time. Yes. Okay. Some wild orchid (laughs) and like whatever other songs that kind of come up along the way, but maybe we can do like a master playlist for season four.
0: Perfect. I love it.
1: Well, thank you so much for listening to us. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to listen to other episodes because clearly you're into nostalgia and we do a lot of musical, music themed episodes on there. And the way to also let us know that you are really enjoying this podcast is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. But if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you obviously know that because you're probably listening to this on Spotify, on Stitcher, on a Pocket Cast, on there's another one. What's the other? Google, Google Cast. Yep.
0: Yes. If we if if we resolve the issue I was trying to fix, then yes, we are on Google podcasts
1: (laughs) and on Amazon podcasts, too. If you're that person that listens to like Amazon music, which my husband is, it's very weird. Um, (laughs) You can also follow us on socials. That's a great way to find out about what we're up to and when our latest episodes are dropping, whether it's a mini or a regular or if we have a new blog that's going up. You can follow us on Medium if you want to read more companion pieces based and steeped within nostalgia, especially musical stuff, music-based stuff. We've got a Romeo and Juliet appreciation post soundtrack for that. We have Josie and the Pussycat Doll or Josie and the Pussycat Dolls. Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) (laughs) Josie and the Pussycats soundtrack appreciation post along with a bunch of other shit from third season. You can follow us at Old Millennials Pod on Medium, but you can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And if you want to follow us, you have to do that individually if you're using Twitter because I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily Abigen And until next time, we say buh-bye.
0: bye Bye.